Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It begins as a familiar story. After years of smoking, a friend or family member drops a positive recommendation about vaping. You give it a try and kind of like it. Over the months, you find yourself reaching more and more for the vape and less and less for the cancer sticks. Until one day you realize, oops, I've accidentally quit smoking. And then comes the vaping-related lung illness. Trump's 9-11 flavor ban, CDC malevolence, a barrage of public health hysteria, and glaring, snarling bias from the mainstream media. So what's next? Well, joining us today to talk about that is Cindy Schmidt. 12 months ago, she was a smoker. Today, she's a pissed-off vapor who's deployed her skills as a lawyer to investigate the CDC's deception in the lung scare and to become one of the most poignant vaping advocates on Twitter. Cindy, thanks for joining us on RugWatch. Brent, it is absolutely my honor to be here. I think the world of your show. Thank you for all you do. Well, thank you very much. So look, we have a bit of a provocative episode today, as one can tell by the title, Lost Innocence, how vaping red-pilled a diehard Democrat. <laughs> I can't wait for that. But let's talk about uh, your story first until we get there. Where are you from and how long were you a smoker? Sure. So I actually started smoking. I think I had my first cigarette when I was 12. Um, I, I was never a super heavy smoker for a long period of time. I would consider myself a light smoker. I went through periods when I was uh, a heavy smoker, and then I went through periods when I was a social smoker. So actually, a lot of people um, are, are just finding out right now, including my parents, that, I, that I've smoked all those years. Um, but uh, I'm from uh, Illinois. I spent, well, basically Illinois. I spent about 10 years there teaching elementary school. And then I went to law school out in Arizona. And I was an attorney there for seven years uh, practicing in civil litigation, doing primarily defense work. And uh, recently I moved to Wisconsin to be closer to my family. And uh, so I'm not working at the moment, but I, I plan to be in the near future. And uh, yeah, it, all of this, uh, I had just quit smoking. Um, I had I started vaping in early in 2019 and someone had recommended it to me, my hairdresser actually, and I just picked it up and I, before I knew it, within a few months, I had completely replaced the smoking with the vaping. So I was really disappointed when I heard about the ban. So uh, before we get there then, it, so w were you intending on quitting smoking? Um, well, I mean, I think as a smoker, it's always in your mind. I mean, for me, it's kind of always in your subconscious, but this was not something where I set out and said, I am on, you know, I have this big goal. I'm going to quit within three months. I mean, my hairdresser mentioned it to me as just an alternative nicotine delivery device. So I just started vaping and I was, I was still smoking and I was going through a period of time when I was smoking quite a lot. I was smoking when I was working and so on. And so, I mean, working from home and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it, it really wasn't more of an unconscious thing. I f started feeling better. Um, you know, when I smoke, and that's part of the reason why I was more of a lighter smoker, I, I do have a reaction to it. I mean, my chest feels tight. I'm coughing. I've got a sore throat. I have swollen sinuses. My eyes are swollen. And I didn't, I don't have any of that with vaping. So, I mean, I smelled better. I liked it better. I felt better. Uh, it was a no-brainer. And uh, one day I just realized there was a half pack of cigarettes sitting on my shelf that I had completely forgotten about. And I threw them away and I, I kind of smirked because I said, wow, I just, I just quit smoking without really thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> the brilliance and wonder of vaping. It's true. It's so, true. So this was, uh, this time last year is around the time that you were first exposed to a vape. Uh, it was 
It was, yeah, early, early in, early of 2019. By um, June, I had quit. So, and now may I ask, young lady, what particular device was that? That (laughs) well, I did start on a jewel. Uh, I did start on a jewel, and I, I have, you know, I don't agree with everything jewel has done necessarily. I don't know all the details, so I'm not, I'm not going to say here nor there about them. But I will tell you that their their device was effective for me, and uh, I did try some of the other flavors. I tried the tobacco. I flat. I tried the fruits. I hated the fruits. I liked the mint, and that was the only one that I liked. And so when Trump announced the flavor ban, I was really really upset about it. So okay, so let's let's just kind of go spring of last year. You're cooking through the summer. You you realize you're free from cigarettes. You know, you're sucking on a jewel and life is grand. You're in utopia. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, who wants to smoke? I mean, I mean, I like to smoke and I'm totally like a liberty, liberty defender to the end. I think it's, you know, I mean, nicotine in and of itself. I just it, I don't I don't see the harm in it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I was super glad to make the switch. Excellent. 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 So. You weren't a vape. Let me ask you, because I know some of your story, obviously. Um, prior to 9 11, which of course that is, it is 9 11, un- astonishingly, it's 9 11. Yes. yes. Uh, that Trump did that. Uh, prior to that, were you involved at all? Had you searched any articles? Were you aware of the major controversy around vaping? I mean, what was your awareness? I don't remember my awareness being high. Um, if something came up, uh, it just, I, I just can't remember actually. So that tells me that it wasn't really forefront in my mind. What I did remember was the flavor ban. And, um, you know, sometimes I go, I go through periods of time being an attorney where I kind of like remove myself from the world for a couple of weeks. So, I mean, I made it just may have been something where I wasn't paying attention to the news about the illnesses, but, um, but yeah, I, I heard about the flavor ban and I just happened to stumble on Twitter. I had 20 followers. I almost never got on Twitter. I had that count for 10 years and almost never used it. And I found this group of people who were just as mad about the flavor ban as I was. And, and it's been all over. I've just been, you know, following them and learning ever since. Yes. What's your Twitter? What's your Twitter count now? I think I'm almost up to 3000. You totally kicked Reg Watch's ass, right? I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> That's not right. People That's need true. to follow you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, all right. So, you know, I, I want to, we've got time to, you know, need out the story here. Um, so just curious, like, how did you find out about the vapor Trump's ban? Because I mean, obviously it was mainstream media. So was it mainstream media that actually informed you? It was yes. MSNBC. Oh, the, the <laughs> channel that was on all the time in my house. <laughs> That's oh what happened my to me, Brent. God. Okay, so <laughs> there, there's a reason why our episode is titled uh, the way it is today. Just so you know, I you know I sent out the promotion for this yesterday. One of our viewers would have it would have been somebody within our RegWatch family network, right? We've got you know getting close to ten thousand, which is great, that are on our page. And so it went in somebody's feed. I didn't recognize the name, but the response was when I opened up this morning in my notifications. Uh, on this uh, episode's uh, promotion was the use of red pill is a pejorative in this context. And I'm like, well, do you, do you know Cindy's story? Do you know Cindy? And I use the the leftist word narrative, right? Because that's a leftist word. That's, that's a progressive word. 
anybody uses narrative is saying, I don't believe in the truth. I believe that it's okay to lie. And whatever I decide is my truth, I'm going to tell it in my narrative. And then you're just going to have to take it and like <laughs> stick it, buddy. And then if you can get enough people behind you with power, we're going to force this narrative and all that on people. I don't agree with that. So that's why I use the word narrative to use his leftist little word right back at him. Right. Okay. So do you know her narrative? Because pejorative is her term. I mean, uh, red pill is her term. I'm feisty today. <laughs> I'm definitely feisty today. Well, good, good. So, okay. So MSNBC, um, I, yep. I can hear you and understand you about that. I also do understand very well that MSNBC, for those that are brainwashed, MSNBC is the home of progressive brainwashing. I can attest to that because from, I'm not sure when MSNBC went on the air, but as far back as I can remember now, 2000, for me, I have not made a decision on where to live unless the cable availability in that area carried MSNBC. <laughs> if they did not carry MSNBC, I did not move. That it was the number one thing on, on my mind was, do they have that? Is there MSNBC available at that place? I literally, this office, when I first moved into this studio, MSNBC and its availability was a contributing factor. If MSNBC was not available in this building, I would probably not be in this studio. So when I talk about brainwashed, right? I mean, I was there. Yeah. Yeah, you were. You were. I don't know what happened to you, but I think it might be, some of it might be worried off. <clears throat> some of it might be. Good. You might be worrying off on me. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm just, I'm just along for it. You know, well, we you're don't want to control. Let, let change happen. Let so change happen. Take us through when you found out about the Trump flavor ban. What, what went through brain? Um, not a whole lot. I mean, look, when I got into this, um, I didn't know anything about vaping. I didn't know anything about the, is the history, the tobacco control act, um, you know, any of the policy disputes underlying it. The only thing I knew is that my hairdresser had recommended a jewel and I quit smoking. And I had one other friend who smoked, you know, who vaped a jewel. I mean, that was it. So, um, I was just mad. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. And of course there was confusion in the story, because if you remember when Trump came out with his statement on September 11th, he said, I want to stop people from getting sick and protect youth. And so immediately out of his mouth was this conflation with the acute pulmonary illnesses that had been popping up everywhere. And um, yeah, I, I mean, at that point, I just, it's its utter confusion, just like everybody else in the country who, who didn't look into it further, I think. Right, and then obviously too, right before that, before that we did have the, uh, the uh, governor of Michigan come out, I was on the 6th of September, uh, like the first day back after Labor Day, and then leveled with that first statewide ban. And right. so this was just right before Trump. So we already had the states moving in a crazy direction right there. So right. how did that connect with this issue of conflation? Because I, I don't see how the statewide bans had anything to do with the vaping-related lung illness when it comes to flavor yeah. bans. Uh, they absolutely didn't. I mean, look, there was there was not evidence um, in terms of August. It was, it was pretty clear that there was... Um, no link between uh, commercially sold nicotine 
e-cigarettes and uh, THC-based, um, you know, cannabis-based vaping products that were primarily sold on the street. And that was, uh, the evidence was mounting every day. And in fact, even going into the investigation in July, there was all, all the reason in the world to uh, suspect uh, this illegal burgeoning um, illegal market, but which which was growing both for THC and for nicotine carts. So, um, you know, when these when these cases started pop, popping up uh, from the black market, it, it should have been a big red flag, um, particularly considering that the entire nicotine market was frozen um, since since uh, 2016 due to the deeming rule and nobody was really putting anything new on the market at that time because of these ridiculous uh, regulations as they were waiting, uh, you know, to see what was going to happen, happen with that. So, I mean, going into the investigation in July, uh, the CDC had every reason to believe that there was a very stable nicotine e-cigarette market. And in fact, uh, people were having to uh, register their products and the ingredients with the FDA by 2019 uh, at the time that the illnesses started. So you had stability and complete transparency in the commercial e-cigarette market. And then you had this, this illegal market that was just out of control. And especially after Juul, uh, you know, pulled its flavors. Uh, I think they, you know, they busted 15 plants in China, um, producing these illegal carts and hundreds of thousands of illegal nicotine carts. So, I mean, right from the get go, uh, the primary suspect should have been the illegal market. And um, certainly by August and September, when the state bans uh, started coming out, it was, it, you know, all of the evidence was just affirming that it was in fact this illegal market. And specifically, uh, these THC carts that had the additive um, to acetate or vitamin E acetate added in as a as a diluent. So um, so yeah, the the bans uh, were something that uh, many many politicians had been had been seeking. Uh, you know, maybe since two thousand three. This was this was a long time a long standing policy agenda. And um, yeah, the skillet was hot, and they just uh, they just took advantage of the public's confusion. Do you think they were searching for a pretext? in order to pin something on vaping. Absolutely. And I think that the reason that that's clear is because they did not uh, generally, except for one state, they did not ban all e-cigarette uh, vaping products. So if they seriously believed that products were being sold in all of these legitimate uh, vape shops that sold nicotine-based liquids were causing an acute onset, severe pulmonary illness in, in primarily very young people, then they would have banned all of them because, I mean, if, if you don't know what the problem is and you can't pin it down to anything, then, you know, a person's mind might have been able to see how they just say, shut down the industry for three weeks or something until we figure this out. But they didn't do that. They uh, they said you can sell your nicotine products if they have or, or your nicotine e-cigarettes, if, if they have uh, no flavor or a tobacco flavor added in, but you can't sell any other flavors. Well, it's crazy. It's almost it like, yeah, that's an, you're making an excellent point. Like, obviously, if this truly was a problem, they're negligent for not ripping everything off the market. I think so. I, I, I think so. I thought the state that banned, I think it was Massachusetts. I can't remember now. But I mean, there's the one state that banned all the products. And I thought that state had the best chance of uh, passing that emergency, you know, using the governor's emergency order, uh, executive powers to get this pushed through. Because, I mean, that would kind of be the only justification for it if you seriously thought that maybe people were getting seriously ill from this, from the, from the products. But, uh, you know, 
Nobody who was following the story thought it was those products by September. I think even the FDA, Scott Gottlieb, came out in September and just said, guys, you know, it's, it's, it's illegal THC carts with this vitamin E acetate. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, we don't need to rehash the entire step-by-step. All of our viewers know, but one of the things that I, I get a uh, big delight out of here is that you're somebody that, you know, pre-9-11, you know, didn't have any of this knowledge. And here we are just, you know, several months later and man, you've just got a bead on, on everything that's going on. What, um, what part I have of your- neglected. <laughs> I've neglected everything. <laughs> so work and Twitter, uh, you know, very little in between. So I'm try. <laughs> talk, talk about, talk about your skills as a lawyer and, and the, and that training, how, how did you apply that to this whole issue? You must've had some template there of thinking to be able to be able to grasp this. It, it was. It really wasn't that conscious. I think you know. A lot of people say when you go to law school, it changes your brain. You know, I mean, it it, it changes how you think. And and so of course, I probably approach people. Uh, problems like a lawyer does. You know, I don't know if that's better or worse. Uh, probably worse. I don't know. But uh, no, I mean, there is a, a systematic analysis and certainly being a litigator, um, you know, thinking uh, persuasively and thinking about arguments. And of course, being a defense attorney, you know, uh, just always trying to poke poke holes in people's arguments. Um, yeah. So um, so this this was something that um, I just couldn't resist digging into to see um, really what um you know, what really happened here. And, and the more that I learned, the worse it looked. It's bad. And I mean, I'm kind of smirking about it, um, but in reality, it was just an just an utter tragedy. Mm, definitely. I've just uh, got a little Chiron up here. We've received a lot of requests over the last little while about getting RegWatch up on podcasts. And uh, when we first looked at that over the first couple of years, it didn't make a lot of sense because our pieces were eight to 15 minutes, that kind of thing. They, were, they weren't long form. And uh, we really went long form when it came to, uh, came to the lung scare. So it's been pretty recent that we've been doing these hour episodes routinely. Wow. Yeah. And so now I, I went, you know what? Screw it. That's it. Let's go. And so it is available at regwatchpodcast.com. And you can sign up uh, there, get the feed um, at Apple's iTunes or whatever there has accepted it. So who knows how long it's going to take there. This is just all recently in the last day or two. Of course, because of the Facebook issue that we've had and continually always have, I went, well, we're going to need to make sure that we get at least those podcasts up now that we're in long form. It makes some sense, but we're throwing up all reg watches. So that means like even, you know, interviews with John Britton from the Royal College of Physicians, you know, back in 2016. Yeah, it's a 10 minute piece. It'll be available on the podcast, every single one of them. So we're working our way back from uh, the most recent. And I think we're from where this is episode 285. And I think I've got up down to 169 already. So we've got a good chunk of them up. Please go to RegWatch Podcast and sign up for that and let other people know. We need to definitely make sure that we're broadening out our reach if we can and limiting as much as we can uh, the fact that uh, if some um, social justice warrior or activist doesn't like our content, they're not going to get us kicked off, at least somewhere. So... No one's ever going to kick us off at regwatch, regulatorwatch.com. I just, you got to spend a lot of money to drive people to a standalone website. So, all right, um, Cindy. Okay. So there was a point in between 9-11 and Christmas time, let's for say, where you were developing a, uh, 
this seemed to be coming a more of a political issue for you. And before, you know, you kind of go in and explain that, let me just kind of uh, take you through something. Mm-hmm. So these are your tweets. <laughs> uh, beginning now, but this is not your tweets, all your tweets. This is tweets that I've searched here for just with the term Democrat. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. yeah, right. So here you are on September 20th, <laughs> boom, with our good friend, Dr. David Abrams. And you're like, and I'm old enough to remember when Democrats <laughs> stood up for individuals' rights. You have blood on your hands, uh, oh, Mayor dear. Cuomo. Oh, dear. So take us back to that tweet there, Cindy. <laughs> I was very surprised. Um, it, you know, look, I've just, I've been a Democrat my whole life. You know, I, I, I do believe in liberty, but I mean, it's, it's found on the left and it's found on the right, I think, in different um in different ways. And, you know, there's a push and a pull and, and pros and cons. Um, and I just always ended up on the left. And I I think I I went a little far and uh, maybe excluded um, some diverse viewpoints there for a while. So so. The well, wait, of- wait, how far <laughs> would that be as far as being in a major march somewhere in Washington? <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I was I was kind of a person that thought the world is going to end if Trump gets elected. And, um, you know, I had voted for Obama twice and uh, Hillary and I just crumbled. I mean, like it was so certain Hillary was going to win. And I just I mean, I literally fell to the floor just sobbing, you know, like this is the end. And um, I did fly to Washington, D.C., attended I attended the Women's March and, you know, kind of started the started the clock. When is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? And um, look, I haven't changed all my opinions about Trump, but I'll tell you what I you know, all things considered, he's been um, very rational and reasonable about vaping. And um, I have to give him full credit for really considering the issues, I think, in, in a pretty fair way. Now, I mean, obviously, everybody did not get what they want. We still have a lot of um, hurdles ahead. You know, I, I'm not trying to trying to say it was perfect, but I think all things considered and particularly considering all of the pressure that he was getting from various groups, um, I was I was thoroughly impressed. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I mean, it, you know, it's not just a Trump issue. Right. But let me ask you this. Well, this is ob- this is an obvious question. The whole concept of I vape, I vote must be just completely, totally new for you. Which aspect of it? Well, vaping was new and, and being a single, single issue voter, I guess, was new. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about the company you keep now? Are they the same kind of company you used to keep, you know, when you're protesting, you know, for climate change and all that or? Um, I just moved across the country, so I'm not keeping a a whole lot of com- company right now. But, you know, it is, I don't know if this is where, you, where you're getting, but I did notice um, it, it does feel different being being on the other side. I, um, and I'm not saying who I'm voting for. I haven't even decided. I've, you know, as you, as you pointed out, I've been following the Libertarian Party, you know, trying to be open-minded and expand the thinking. Um, but I did get, get a firsthand um, uh, experience with what it feels like to give, uh, to say something positive about Trump without even saying that I was going to vote for him, just giving him credit where credit was due. 
I mean, the tweets that I would get back, oh my gosh, you know, it's the end of the world. You know, how could he be, you know, he's, he's this, he's this, he's this, he's, that. I, I'm horrible. And, and, um, yeah, I just felt like, you know, th this is how, this is how Trump, Trump supporters feel. They're, they're just called names all the time and just bashed and I, it, it's bad. It's bad. The pressure from the left is, is really intense right now. Do you recognize from yourself in any of that on now on the other side? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like on Twitter bashing people. I mean, uh, the, the ratio is a new term that I learned since September, <laughs> but, uh, and I do try to be respectful of, of diverse, um, political views. And I, I have had friends, you know, and such who are, you know, span the political spectrum, but, um, but I, yeah, I, I think that, um, we really could benefit from, from really, um, and, and people say this and it's almost a platitude, but boy, if we could just, um, put down all the name calling and the hate and, and start really talking about issues, um, we might really get somewhere. And, you know, I, I just, now I'm, I'm just curious, like what, what really were the underlying issues that were important to Trump that they believed that the Democrats weren't hearing? Why really did they vote for, for Trump? Because I kind of dismissed them as not having valid, valid concerns. Back and, in the day. Yeah. So to speak. Y yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Why do you, well, now I'm curious, you know, this is about Trump to the extent that of course he's right there on the vaping side and mm -hmm. bull in a China shop, so to speak. Um, I do agree with you that I think that he's probably found an interesting management of this issue to the extent that it, I don't think that if he was led astray or, or wrongly steered at the beginning, if that hadn't happened, I don't know if we'd be in the same spot as we are now, because I truly believe that for Trump, it took something like that for him to like step into it, you know, step into the, you know, doggy poo, so to speak. It took him to do that and then experience that backlash for them, for him to turn around and look and go, wait a minute, these same people that are telling me all about vaping, they're the same people that are leading me astray on every single other issue. Right. Mm -hmm. They're the same people. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I, you know, I didn't, I bet you until vaping, well, I guarantee you until vaping, there's no way Trump would have ever thought that public health was his enemy politically. And then after vaping, he recognized public health is his political enemy. They're my same enemies. They're my same people. They're the same enemy. And so, you know, and I think that that's impacted uh, the coronavirus. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm a little unclear on that. I think I think that they were hoping they were just going to they were just going to bowl over it. I mean, I, I think they whoever, you know, these people have been whoever it is, you know, public agencies, American Lung Association, da, da, da. It's, it's just it's, it's in their mind. And it, they've been thinking about it for 10 years and 20 years and 30 years, you know, ban ban flavored e cigarettes. And and they haven't changed. They haven't adopted. They haven't they haven't seen that the the this is something different and, and the same, you know, the same mantra, the, the dogma that you used to, to fight big tobacco, um, it is, is, is inappropriate in a different context when you have a product that is, um, unquestionably safer than cigarettes. So I don't know, I think they were caught up in the vaping illness and, and, and they just thought we're just going to get Trump to go along with this. And he almost did. I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot to, there to unpack, I think, for me on my end, because I don't really believe anymore 
that the bit fight against big tobacco was anything more than just a mafia shakedown. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Well, the left loves to beat up on corporations. They're doing that forever, right? And they and big tobacco is massive. So let's think about it. You know, you hear the exact same arguments about big tobacco in the decades-long fight of all the things that big tobacco has done. You can take every single um, allegation that's been made about big tobacco and the same people are making the exact same allegations about oil, right? You got oil companies, the exact same thing. Well, they did this, they did that, they hit this, they had that, you know, they're, you know, it's almost exactly the same. And so, and you know that it's a, it's a kind of a, a catch-all because they try to apply the same thing to vaping companies, but until Juul entered the market, that it was, they were unable to make that stick. And so the reason why the insidiousness about Juul is they built Juul up in order to take it down so it would fit the narrative. Does that make some sense? Did I explain that well? They built they built Juul up. They they allowed it to flourish for a while. So oh, they and all well, I mean, we already know Michelle Minton was just on the show. I mean, all of the news stories and all the public health ads, all of that, that was the biggest marketing for Juul ever. I mean, it's proven. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about the history of big tobacco going back that far, you know, to say yay or nay on, on what you're saying. I mean, certainly I have seen reports where, I mean, I mean, obviously there was a period when I think it, it swung to the, you know, there, people thought that smoking was safer than what it was. And, and, you know, everything I've heard is that there was some cover up by big tobacco companies about the real risks associated with with smoking and you may know better, but I mean, that's, that's, that's what I understand. But then it kind of, the pendulum swung and when they cut, you know, they, they cut the funding for, um, for the, for, for, for certain research based, you know, when it became all tobacco control research, then they just started playing fast and loose with the research. And then we're seeing kind of a lot of this really meaningless science being, being thrown up where even if someone like I read it, you know, you get to the end of the article and it doesn't, um, it doesn't actually conclude anything, but it, it, it got the headlines. So you might see, it, you know, some big article that says vaping causes dry skin and you read the article and it says, you know, well, the study size was 14 people. I mean, I'm just making up a hypothetical, but you know, the study size was 14 people and it, it may cause dry skin and we, we need more research. I mean, you know, that that's an extreme example, but um, you're seeing a lot of weak, weak um, research being being pushed out at a really steady rate against vaping. And from what I've read that that did happen with tobacco and certainly with um, smokeless tobacco like chew and snus, where there was just kind of a um, a feeling in tobacco control that they needed to demonize this industry, that all tobacco is bad. They're you know, they're they're trying to. Um, they're trying to make a, a tobacco-free world. They want to make the world better. And so um, if they demonize all the tobacco instead of talking about real uh, risk differential and encouraging people to uh, switch to a safer product, um, I, I think they think that, you know, just by just by demonizing all of the tobacco products the same, that, um, that they'll get everyone to magically quit. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's true. It's just so stupid because human beings are allowed to make decisions and some people will trade, you know, the extra years of life that they might lead uh, for some pleasure of some cigarettes. Um, I'm just on the CDC site here right now. Uh, and it popped up in the search. They're still saying that smoking leads to um, uh, a death, early death by 10 years. 
So it cuts mm-hmm. 10 years off of your life. Mm-hmm. New research out over the last five years, six years, I mean, it's been out for a while, has been lowering that number. And that number is the most recently that I've seen, credible, credible research is like three years. So the actual mm-hmm. real number for if you smoke, right, and a provable death, right, which is hard to say because they've got the smoking-related diseases, kind of like smoking, uh, vaping-related lung illness. But either way, that number has been down. So, you know, if CDC has been lying for 40 years, right, why, do, why would we accept what they're saying right now? Everything they, why would I accept anything they said about tobacco? Because they are, they, the CDC is a, um, is a uh, agency that is unconcerned with health and 100% captured by ideology. Almost all of their research money is spent on social issues. So when you want the handgun stats for the United States of America, those stats come from the CDC. Huh? How are handguns disease? Well, yeah, but it's social and it's epidemiology. So population level stuff, that's all CDC. So all the rape stats are CDC. So I don't know if you remember back uh, a couple of years ago when Obama was still in, it was still in office and there was the massive, massive push out in the media about how one in every five women at a U.S. college or university is raped. You, how could you forget that? It was everywhere. One in five. I mean, so un- unbelievable that how come, you know, millions of parents weren't immediately dragging their daughters out of school, right? I mean, no, they're not. They're sending them off and, you know, and, and, and getting them some flats of beer for the frat party. Come on. And so Obama said it from the podium. One in five will get raped. Biden said it all the time. It was a big thing for him all over the place. It was all over the media. You can remember MSNBC, old Joe and Mika. They talked about it all the time. One in five, one in five, one in five. Turns out it was a CDC study. One researcher (laughs) done online, 250 respondents, and it's the CDC. What the hell is the CDC doing involved with that kind of research? And then pushing it out. It was the CDC's PR people pushing it out. So as you keep, as you just, as you just keep going over and over and over again, and you realize the CDC is not an organization that is there about protecting the public. So we look at the coronavirus. What happens? Well, you know, they send out faulty tests. And then when, when Seattle and all of the local, you know, local universities and research centers want to make their own test, because the CDC's test is A, not there yet, they're told no, only the CDC can make it. And then when the tests come, they don't work. They lost the entire month of February in the U.S. Mm-hmm. For, for testing yeah, because of CDC. And, uh, you know, so I shall Red, hand it back to you. Let me clarify. I am not making any statement about the harm of smoking cigarettes on, on their own. I mean, I... I know the relative risk because that's what I've been looking at smoking compared to cigarettes. But, you know, I I absolutely cannot comment on, you know, how the CDC represented the smoking rates. And and I'm totally unqualified to recommend, you know, to to even comment on that as similarly, am I unqualified to comment on the on the rape rates? Um, My my criticism with the CDC in their investigation of the uh, vaping illnesses was particularly the reporting aspect. Um, uh, Actually, two, two, two elements. 
They did not recommend uh, mandatory drug testing until quite late in the investigation. So um, because they were having to collect data from the patients themselves and they were um, self-reporting what they had vaped, whether they had vaped nicotine products, whether they had vaped tan uh, cannabis vaped products, which of course chemically, I mean, they're, they're, they're different organic compounds. This, this really matters. THC is oil-based, nicotine is more uh, water or alcohol-based, and so the mixins in it are different and the kind of lung inju injuries that you might see would be different. So this was a very important distinction. And um, particularly since patients were um, oftentimes in states where cannabis is still illegal or they were underage, where they might have serious uh, suspensions from school or other consequences for vaping THC, they had all the motivation to lie about it. And so the um, my gripe with the CDC is that their absence to collect that data, uh, that hard data about what the what the patients were using, allowed them to keep the door of doubt open, which st which still stands a little open. You know, there, there, there's those few cases where they say, ah, oh, you know, these well, these patients reported vaping nicotine carts. You know, they don't tell us anything about it, whether they got them on the legal market, the street cart. You know, we don't know what if they're brands. I mean, of course, they're not legal brands because they they ha just haven't recalled any products or said anything, but it's just that, it's just that doubt. And I think they, I think they, I think that they want tobacco control and flavors banned so badly that they just walk the line. They really, they really tried to walk the line where they could kind of try to cover themselves in their data and say, well, we were, we were, we were reporting the data. It was in here, you know, on page three. But the problem was, is that the message that was going out to the public was, you know, these vaping related illnesses, e-cigarettes, I'd have to pull you. I'm sure you've got the name there, but, you know, e-cigarette comma or vaping uh, product use associated <laughs> illnesses. I mean, it's just re it's just a mouthful. And it named the wrong product. I mean, just flat out named and uh, a legitimate industry e-cigarettes, you know, and, and Scott Gottlieb, the former commissioner of the FDA, tweeted about this and said, you know, we're the agency that named an e-cigarette. We, you know, we have regulatory authority over our cigarettes and something with cannabis in it is not a cigarette. And all these illnesses are being caused by cannabis. I mean, it just, just maligned the industry just with the naming convention, just, just horrific. And then by keeping the door open and some of the other wording that they used, um, it was, it was brutal. And I tell you what, if you don't care about vaping, I would say, if you care about your industry, you should be pay you should care about this because if the CDC can do this to a legal industry that they decide, you know, shouldn't be around because they just don't want they just don't want people, you know, vaping, then they're not the regulatory body. They shouldn't be they shouldn't be deciding whether these products are on the market or not. That's the FDA's role. But just by their reporting, they they practically decimated this industry. And then you've got flavor bands popping up because of their I mean, it just just an absolute nightmare. Not to mention all the people that didn't get the message and then therefore got sick because they were still vaping cannabis-based products off the street, and they just never got the message. So you do believe then, by their inaction, purposeful or not, they cause more harm? Absolutely. No question. I mean, uh, you know, Michelle Minton uh, uh, published a, a report, you know, at the end of July, just, just at least flagging and saying, hey, you know, there's two suspects here, and uh, the first reports are coming out, you know, that there are these illegal THC carts and you've got this stable market over here. Um, so at least they could have put they, they could have put something out uh, at least at the end of July. It just said, you know, we don't know. But the, our 
are the primary suspect here, you know, we're, or we're very suspicious about this. Something that would have gotten it into the headlines and something that would have gotten it into the into the in the news. But what's happening is that the only thing that was getting into the into the headlines and into a lot of news stories was just e-cigarettes or vaping products. And, you know, if THC was mentioned at all, it was like buried, you know, down at the end of the article. And then you had American Lung Association coming in and saying, we're going to get these, <laughs> we're going to get the flavor bans. And so they just conflated the issue that, you know, they put all of these minimal risks associated with e-cigarettes in there. And the poor reader, of course, is thinking, well, uh, I don't know. E-cigarettes called the, cause the illnesses, and then there's all this information from the Heart Association about all these inherent risks in e-cigarettes that had nothing to do with the acute illnesses that we have never ever seen before. Complete communication fail all around. And the tragic thing is, is that those use numbers for, I mean, the illness numbers, the people hospitalized in August and September were the highest months, and. Um, in, in August, they were still very high and they, you know, they did start going down August, November, December, but it was people like us, like you, like the people on, on Twitter that had been, you know, in this industry, it was people in the cannabis industry. It was everyone except for the federal government who was just shouting at the top of our lungs, trying to get the message out. You saw people on Twitter, they were making little signs that were circulating, circulating them, you know, here's a picture of an e-cigarette. Here's a picture of a THC cart, you know, a big, you know, X around it, like, you know, circle. Don't buy this one. It's killing people. I mean, just, it was horrifying to watch because we could see that the message wasn't getting out. Nobody understood what was going on. And so the poor people who were using uh, buying cannabis carts off the street, buying illegal cannabis carts. I truly believe because of the uh, because of the way that the CDC messaged this, and then the way that these you know anti tobacco group in the, and the politicians kind of tried to exploit the illnesses to get these long sought after uh, flavor bans passed. Um, uh, I I just I just can't see how there's not a certain group of people out there who um, could have gotten the message if if clear. Um, if clear messaging, you know, had been provided by by the CDC. It's just tragic. And that is definitely, I mean, I think you nailed it right there, is that there was a lack of clear messaging. And if there's any agency that's supposed to deliver that, that is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Yes. Yes. Yes, it undermines public trust. I mean, I think that I I think that that's as big as anything because now we've got the coronavirus coming out. And um, you know, I'm going, I don't know, either you guys are really incompetent or you just subscribe to a teleological, you know, utilitarian um, um, uh, code of ethics where you b basically feel like you can you can exaggerate and lie to lie to the public, um, you know, if you think it's going to promote the public good. And um, I just think, you know, that I mean, that is a known um, that is a known ethical um, value system for certain public health departments. And the CDC has has demonstrated that it, it has used that in the past, um, you know, kind of the ends justifies the means. And um, boy, do I disagree with that. I, I, I think that we need to be able to trust our public health agencies. And so that if, if you know, if there if there is something really important that we need to know, um, uh, we need he, they need to be able to get people to respond. They don't they don't it's it's just going to be devastating if if they need to push a, an important report out and people don't believe them. Um, yeah, it's it's, um, it, you know, and there's a liberty issue, too. I mean, it, there's the you know, as an autonomous citizen, I expect that my government and, you know, my taxpaying dollars will um, will give me an, uh, an agency that will um, that will tell me the truth. 
Now, do you think when you listen to the coronavirus, uh, you know, communication from CDC, do, do you at all shake your head and wonder? I'm just not listening to them. I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm checking Twitter. I'm checking Public Health England. I'm looking at other sources. You know, sometimes they'll turn on. But I I just refuse to go there. And I mean, that's just me being stubborn. Um, you know, but I, that's I, but that's fair. So then so then let me ask you, though. Do, are you are you at all considering, though, all the millions and millions of people out there that haven't gone through the experience that you've gone through and that other vapors have just gone through, you know, seeing this, you know, malevolence uh, is is the way I describe it. Yeah. Um, I mean, aren't you scared or worried about the fact that there's millions of people out there that have no idea and they just take the CDC for their word? Um. Yeah, I mean, there's even a question with the face mask is issue. I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but I mean, I know our, our government, I don't know if it's just the CDC or if it's Jerome Adams, you know, or you know who exactly it is, but they're saying, you know, oh, face masks, face masks won't help. And then um, they come out and they follow it with, oh, and by the way, if everybody buys face, face masks, we won't have enough for the healthcare workers. So again, it's this logic that just kind of like uh, melts and you're saying, so the face masks, do matter for healthcare workers and you want them. So really what, I, you know, it's just this brain out. Are you really saying that there's a shortage of face masks and the, and therefore they don't help that much? I mean, just tell us the truth, you know, we'll all pitch in. If we can't buy face masks, we'll get a cloth mask, you know, but just tell us the truth. Horrid. Well, the truth for a long period of time was, is that there was a teen epidemic and that vaping was killing people. That was the truth. Uh, well, they're, they're trying to remember what all you, I'm doing what? is trying to turn you on. Right. Cause you know, just, <laughs> just getting you, we just had you go in there for a good 10, 10, 12 minutes and want to make sure I do that because it is, it's a, it's important because boy, you sure know what the hell you're talking about. And as a lawyer, you sure know what you don't know and, and are certainly kind of stepping that away. But I'm looking for some conjecture for you to be connecting some of the dots because of course, you know, we do have uh, Mayor de Blasio uh, at the start of this week with his wonderful, let me just cue this up. I've got this sitting right here. Let me just have a quick look at it. One second. They contract coronavirus. It is people who have pre-existing serious conditions and are over the age of 50. And those pre-existing conditions, and our team has really been working to get this definition clear for everyone because we think it's helpful if it's very, very clear. Heart disease, lung disease, cancer, compromised immune system, and diabetes. Those five pre-existing conditions. And then one other thing we could call a factor it's not a pre-existing condition, but it is a factor that we are concerned about and we've seen already. If you are a smoker or a vapor, that does make you more vulnerable. And we'll say it probably several times today and in the days to come. If you are a smoker or a vapor, this is a very good time to stop that habit and we will help you. Yay. 
<laughs> I'm not sure which address first, the youth epidemic or that mess. I mean, here's the thing. As far as I've seen, okay, I haven't, you know, checked every tweet that's come out in the past two days, but I haven't seen any actual evidence for stating that vaping increases your risk of getting coronavirus. I, quite frankly, it's unclear whether smoking does, but I think it's logical to say if smoking is irritating your lungs, if you're sick, I mean, look, I'm not giving medical advice here, but, um, you know, just the fact that they did, they cannot resist going after the vaping industry and they have no basis for it. Show, show me that, show me the basis for that statement or quit lying. Quit lying. Yes. Well, so you would think that the CDC, you know, being stung over uh, over all of their miscommunication would be like, no, don't say that. We can't back that up. Don't. That's not that's not the case. They're like everything the CDC has done is empowered that kind of statement. Yeah. And yeah, now keep in mind, keep in mind, and I'm just going to remind everybody uh, on September 18th, 2018, when then Commissioner Scott Gottlieb of the FDA came out and said there was an epidemic of teen vaping that posed mm -hmm. a clear and present danger to uh, the well, the health of the youth of the nation. We came out screaming on that, going, look, these, these are public health agencies and you've got epidemic and you've got clear and present danger. There is nothing higher than that. Outbreak is on the same level. It's the same thing. Epidemic and clear and present danger. These are the words that public health agencies and governments use to remove civil liberties. And now Cuomo here is the governor that just called in the National Guard on New Rochelle, uh, the city because of coronavirus. And see, that's the level. Like they literally could shut Seattle down. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing quasi uh, things from you know fair enough private companies like NHL and. NCAA and NBA and everything else. If they want to shut their seasons down, that's great. But I mean, what we're really talking about here is that is that public health and the progressive state wants to always exercise power. And the exercising of power always comes down to coercion against the individual. And so that's why I always believe that smoking has been a big issue for them because it's a private thing. You know, it's, it's something that a person enjoys they seem to have a real problem with allowing individuals to have pleasure unless it's sanctioned by the government. And so that's one of the issues. Um, so my concern here has always been is the use of the language like epidemic, outbreak, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, clear and present danger um, mm -hmm. is like crying wolf. And here we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, is coronavirus a cry wolf situation? That I don't know. All my instinct says, I can't believe the CDC. Right. Yeah. I mean, did you see the email? I I can't tell you the specifics. I just remember I was reading through um, an email and they were it was it was people. I think it was at the FDA. They were talking about the use of the term epidemic and how they were going to laser focus its application because they had done this like pre-release study. And they do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and, I do. It was around so, the real cost campaign. Okay. And so they, you know, they had said, well, this word, this word works great for scaring youth into not using cigarettes, but boy, it also scares adults away from using e-cigarettes. So, you know, there's kind of this cost benefit analysis. And so their plan was to laser focus, you know, use this term with laser focus, just in, in specific targeting to youth 
so that the, you know, because they were conceding. I mean, they concede that e-cigarettes are safer than smoking. We have 13 people, 1,300 people who die in the United States. I mean, that's, that's the average from smoking every single day. It's the leading cause of preventable death. There are 480,000 people who die in the United States. I mean, that's, you know, that's our best guess from smoking related illnesses every year. Yes, and we have, yes, we have according to the CDC, part. according to well, the CDC. Yeah, I mean, I knew you were going to, I don't, because I've seen the dispute about the numbers. But I mean, the point is, it's, look, at least, at least give me lung cancer, right? Like there are high, there, smoking is causing problems. E-cigarettes are causing less. I I don't think that we can really dispute about that. You got, you know, the, the big report by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine uh, came out in 2018 with a 750 page report reviewing all of the evidence that uh, has ever been published on e-cigarettes mm-hmm. and, you know, the Royal Col- College of Physicians. Okay, but just one second and- about the Academy, though. Remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. this. People on pro-vaping side point to the Academy all that that work all the time. And so do the people against vaping. They use it all the time. It's mentioned in Congress sure. all the time. It's mentioned yeah. all the yeah. time as the evidence against vaping. Because if yeah. you look through the actual recommendations in that, it's easy to read that report as being anti-vaping. I, I think I, so, yeah. I mean, there's parts of it. I mean, it's a lot there, right? And I think some of it covers a- actual risk and some of it covers inherent risk and some of it is po- is more policy-based. I mean, correct me if you disagree. And I mean, at that, I think that's really where we need to be. And, and you know, if we could just get down to policy, you know, let's stop lying about the actual risk. Let's stop lying about the relative risk. And let's have a policy discussion. You know, is there any common ground? Hey, nobody wants a bunch of of young people in high school to start vaping. Unless maybe if they were going to smoke, if they were going to smoke deadlier cigarettes, I mean, the argument could be made that you'd rather have them take up vaping. But I mean, nobody wants to see uh, these large numbers of of vapors. But, you know, there again was another lie, because when you actually break down the data and I mean, multiple people have done it, I can't cite the exact numbers, but you've got, you know, the certain the numbers aren't as high as they're saying. So they're coming into these congressional hearings and they're saying, you know, 20, 30 percent of all the youth are vaping, all the youth are vaping. We have an epidemic. And when you break down the numbers, that's just not, you know, it's not reflective of what's happening at all. First of all, like, I, I, was it Brad Rodu who was on your show who was saying like, you know, like, like some huge, some huge number of these uh, students from the 2018 study were actually 18. They were they were that's using right. the products legally. That's right. And then you had the number of, of people who were using THC carts. So those were kind of like just added to the nicotine people, you know, like it's just inflating it. And then you had the the people who even vaped one time in 30 days. So, you know, you're talking about your friend had a jewel and you take the jewel and the our federal government is counting these people as addicted. They're addicted to nicotine. You know, they, they I mean, for crying out loud, these kids are in high school. Look, I wish everybody a healthy life, run marathons, do not use drugs, you know, go for it. But uh, Brent, here's where I, I really agree with your policy. I, I just don't believe that that government works well or much works well. When we as human beings try to control everything from the top down, you know, there's I'm a true believer in allowing change. You know, you see, I've got a yin yang on my wall. It's you know, it's the idea of of change from the bottom up. Let things be organic. Let the market be be organic. Let liberty be organic. And that's how we fuel growth, uh, a free marketplace. So this whole idea of just just this, this just 
just this top-down control to try to snuff out smoking altogether. Um, you know, yes, I don't want youth to vape, but is every youth going to stop using every drug? Guess what, Brent? No. And, and, and people have been using tobacco for 4,000 years. It's pretty popular. It's, it's, right? it's got some longstanding uh, history there. You know, <laughs> for medicine, for religious purposes, you know. Uh, but Mike Bloomberg decides that, yeah, no, you know, I'm going to tap down. We're going to make this world a better place. So I'm going to tell you all what you need to do to be better. Oh, yeah, well, because that's what he said. He says, if you if you need to quit, government's there to help because we know how to get you to quit smoking. Really? Uh, because oh, yeah, it wasn't so that, working. That's why, uh, you know, $40 billion a year industry got started in 10 years is because right. you, all of your solutions were brutal. What was really dragging me down in the fall was like listening to these pave idiots, you know, in the uh, White House talking to the president about their new texting app that they've got, which, you know, kids, they're really oh, excited. Yeah. They're signing yeah, up yeah. and they're getting the texts and stuff to help them be empowered to quit. Oh my God, these right. are the programs from 10 years ago that are just asinine. They're, they're just, they have no understanding. It's like complete, total misunderstanding of how to get people to quit something. Was that the, was that the quit vaping program that had like a 40, 40% success rate or something like that? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I no. Be, I may, I'll, I retract that. I may have been conflating things. No, no. Uh, yeah. You know, well, get used to it. Might as well join the club. Yeah, I mean, no, because no, the the uh, there's there's a process of which tobacco control has always had with tobacco that they they honed, and one of them was these uh, you know peer pressure systems. So they get teens to peer pressure other teens. So you know the groups of people, as you know, from your days on the progressive side, you are the bastions of anti-bullying, right? True. All right. But, mean, but meanwhile, though, public health is the biggest bully of all. And they act, and they they just love to take teens and youth and turn them into little Gestapos right within their own peer group to force them. in. You know, so that's what they're talking about. They're talking about teens bullying other teens for smoking and now vaping. That's their thing. So you bully. That's one. Get your peers to bully to, you know, stuff like uh, stuff like the texting methods and stuff like that for like, you know, bugging you. So, pester, you know, the technology <laughs> will pester you. Um, everybody's been talking off and on. I'm sure you've probably uh, heard of it, which is the hail product, which is, oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Michael. So the hail for, well, for those. I, I shouldn't say, I, I shouldn't say, cause I, I did try to track down the, um, the connection to, to a direct investment by Mike Bloomberg and it, and it kind of like split paths. You know, there's some guy on, on Twitter who seemed to know him well and admitted, oh yeah, he invested in it. But then I couldn't like actual, actually pin down the, um, the actual investment. But I mean, a company that he was like an owner of had invested in the hail, but then, you know, it's, it's vague, but yes, pharma, pharmaceutical grade hail, no problem. As long as it's big pharma and not small industry from, you know, innovation from the ground up, as long as it's big pharma, that's okay. But, you know, ah, those small businesses that, that built this for the past 10 years, bad. Right now, the Bloomberg connection, I mean, we can always look for the big boogeyman, you know, behind the scenes. Well, I'm sure Bloomberg money's there. But the, but the real thing about this, though, is that this is, this is uh, a, a clean, I guess, uh, Silicon Valley type entrepreneurs and hedge fund people coming together to make this happen. I, I would be 100% not surprised, obviously, that if Bloomberg is involved in with, with the funding of this in some manner.
So, but they clearly, the, 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 the people behind this, right, are definitely the people that, have, that are leading the charge against vaping. That's clear in our, in our research on this. Now, what's oh, really? really inter- yeah, it's for sure. It's for sure. Now, what is interesting about this is that the hail adjusts nicotine intake. Oh, yeah. So this thing is going to not give mm-hmm. you uh, control over your nicotine. Right. What it's going to do is it's going to slowly wean you off nicotine. So it's the, the whole, big government. Right, right. Exactly. It's the control of the pleasure. I told it's you the they can't allow people to be in control of their own individual pleasures. It must be controlled by the government and or, or you know, fascist corporations and stuff like that, which are, you know, the blends of government together. Right. And that's what this is. This this hail thing is a perfect fascistic uh, product. Right. It's a it's a it's it's ideology with huge, massive money, potential for huge profits and total regulatory capture where and and this isn't regulatory capture in the traditional sense, which is where normally regular regulatory capture would be describing when, say, the oil industry takes over the regulatory body that regulates oil. That's Mm -hmm. regulatory capture. And again, like the left, right? The progressives, they flip everything. That's wrong. Regulatory captures when the regulatory body takes over the industry. <laughs> That's regulatory capture in my mind, right? They don't ever see it that way because you can never have enough good, large regulatory bodies. The story always has to be that the industry is corrupting government of some manner or another, right? But so Hale is a perfect example of, of where the ideology, huge amounts of money, uh, regula- regulations meet, uh, and then the the accoutrement is that uh, it's going to wean you off of nicotine, which means the device is going to be deciding. The software is going to be deciding. You're not. Right, because once I got on Twitter, I learned, I, hey, I can go into a vape shop and people will talk to me. And, you know, I went to these great vape, vape shops in Tucson and got to know everybody. And I, lo and behold, there's a way that you can bring your own nicotine down in, with an open tank system. And you can buy your nicotine strength in, you know, 24 mg or 12 or 6 or 3 or, you know, 0. And so the the contrast is, you know, do you want this computer within the hail to, to, to set your pace? for you or uh do you want you to have control over your nicotine level uh, i vote for me mm-hmm. i vote for the individual <clears throat> now would you i mean when you say use language like the individual and stuff i mean is this new yeah. or did you use that language a year ago well i don't know i i mean look i i've always i've always been a firm believer in liberty personal liberty and there's some things on the left uh that i think they they're good at in terms of personal liberty. Like, you know, let me let me live my life as long as I'm not hurting you. And sometimes, you know, the conservatives come in and, you know, they're trying to impose their views on, you know, people aren't quite quite adhering to that. So, you know, I think this is a give and take. I mean, there's there, there's different issues, but, um, you know, I don't know that I'm quite talking about it as much as I am now. I mean, you know, the Libertarian Party came out in full support of the vapors almost immediately when these issues came up. You know, they've got an I, vo- I vape, I vote website. You might have already said that. But, you know, I've been following Reason Magazine. I watched the show you had on, I think it was in December with Guy Bentley. I think I've watched that two or three times. I've got like his his quote on liber- uh, on uh, what it means to be libertarian and, and progressivism. It's like one of my favorite shows because it's just so informative. And so, you know, 
that's the thing, Brent. I, you know, I think when I say I've been red pilled, I mean, however, you know, so many different ways to interpret that. But the truth of the matter is, this journey into vaping has also just just broadened me uh, politically and and just in terms of uh, underlying ideology. And I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to come together with a group of people. You know, there were a lot of Trump supporters and a lot of conservatives, and you know, people from the left and the right came together. Journalists. Um, consumers, uh, shop owners, scientists, I mean, you name it, these from all around the world, really, and came together um, it, because this, this issue, we believed so much in this issue. And isn't it ironic that when you reach out and listen, um, that you just get rewarded for it. I mean, it's just growth. It's growth. And that, I, I mean, that's what we want. I grew. Good. <laughs> I grew. Good. I like yes. that. That's, uh, that's pretty... Uh... That's pretty good. So right before we uh, finish off here, I want to make sure that I get our viewers over to support.regulatorwatch.com, which is our microsite for fundraising for our show. And obviously we can't do what we do without your help. And I know it's getting a little harder for some folks to be able to um, continue their support just overall, because, you know, things are going to shit hell in a handbasket and uh, coronavirus and uh, huge, massive stock market crashes and all that kind of stuff certainly don't help. But we're going to be here and keep doing what we do. And so we'd ask you to consider going to support.regulatorwatch.com and joining our fine group of people that are supporting us. And Demand Vape being one of them, being the lead anchor supporter of our U.S. coverage. And, of course, Stealth and Juno and Divine and Flavor Art and our great monthly rock stars. And I always like to mention uh, John Marshall over at Flavor Crafters because it was his juice that got me off. I mean, it is the juice. I, I have to tell you, uh, here in Canada, in British Columbia, I, I went and bought, you know, a, a pretty good stock up of coils and juice at the end of December mm-hmm. so I could get that in because I get to write it off. <gasps> Don't tell. <laughs> Fred, um, I don't even notice those kinds of things you can just keep talking. I'm not I didn't, say, I didn't, I didn't say that. Yeah, I didn't say that. It's really bad. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, but anyhow, so I got that in all in the last calendar year. And then just this week, like on Monday or Tuesday, I was like, oh, man, I'm like, oh, out of my favorites. And I'm like, oh, my God, British Columbia, we're going to hell. We're going to lose all of our nicotine. We're going to be in 10 mil bottles, blah, 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 right. blah. And I, it was the first time like that I bought since they put the tax in. And unbelievable. Like what was like 150, 160 is like 230, 230 bucks, 250 dollars. I'm just like, oh, my God. I just literally for a moment, I did the math on coils, my coil usage, juice, and the number between what it used to be what that I smoked uh, is shrunk so much. Anyhow. I mean, because Americans for Tax Reform, I mean, that's another group that I sort of followed. You think I ever followed them before? You know, I mean, they're, they're a huge advocate for us. Um, um, and the fact that we'd be taxing a, a safer product, I mean, discouraging discouraging use of a safer product is just ridiculous. I mean, the Canada's the doing that is ridiculous when they're trying to do it here. Mm. So, so um, let me ask you this, because you're now in, uh, and as we're wrapping here, you know, give us a sense of, give us a sense of your assessment of vaping advocacy. Where are there, because you're a fresh face, so your insights are fresh and your face is fresh too. Um, but um, you've got fresh insights, you know, you're analytical mm-hmm. and clearly you've jumped into this and you're owning it. So that's great. So what's working and what's not in vaping advocacy? Well, uh, I mean, 
you know, I, I my perspective is very small. I mean, I I defer to the people who can see the bigger picture, obviously. But I mean, um, no harm in in sharing ideas, I suppose. And um, I mean, first of all, we've got this uh, PMTA deadline coming up in May, and um, you know, I I don't know what's happening with that. I am su- I am very hopeful that. Um, that the FDA will not turn over the vaping industry to the big tobacco companies. I mean, if this thing gets turned over to Juul, if the, if, if the entire, if 14,000 or, you know, however many there are, 10 to 14,000 small businesses go bankrupt in May and the entire vaping industry gets turned over to Juul and other big uh, tobacco companies, that's going to be really bad <laughs> all around for everyone who did that. Right. So I'm just hoping that there's like some common sense in their brain and saying, I don't maybe we don't know exactly how we're going to avoid this, but this just cannot happen because, I mean, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge if that happens. So I'm hopeful for the industry that we'll get through this somehow. And I think looking beyond that, you know, I would just say we've got to get our memberships up in, um, you know, in the VTA and the AVA, you know, even if even uh, those organizations, I don't know what their dues are. You know, I'm, I can't be a member. I'm just, you know, a, a consumer. But, you know, to, if they, even if they bring fees down or whatever, I mean, just try to get the numbers up. Like if we get past PMTA or or even now leading up to it, there's I mean, there's going to be another rally. I, I can't remember the exact date. I think it's in May in Washington, D.C. And I am planning to be there. And I hope that some people recognize me this time, because last time only like two people did from Twitter. So <laughs> now you know what I look like and come up and say hi. But anyway, um, look, you know, these organizations are, are your lifeblood. They will tell you what to do. They will tell you how to stay compliant with the law. They, they're your, they're your, you know, your survival, your bloodlines. Join them. And uh, for the consumers, join CASA. You know, check the website every day. Um, you know, throw, throw them a few bucks. Throw RegWatch a few bucks. You know, throw your trade organization, ABA, a few bucks if you can. You know, if everybody pitches in a little bit, I mean, we, we know everybody's tight right now, but just try to pitch in. And what I would love to see, Brent, um, is, you know, one thing that I hate about the anti-tobacco is that they're just so good at their messaging. It's like, and I said this to you before, it's like, it's though they're all singing off the same sheet music, like somebody wrote it. And they have the, the just its mantras, like the youth, the, the youth, youth, the the youth use the use e-cigarettes because of the flavors and there's a youth vaping epidemic. And, you know, we have defenses to all of those arguments. We can come in, we have the data and we can, you know, go through the, you know, the cost and the risk benefit of, you know, tobacco harm reduction and tobacco control. And we can talk about sensible regulations and we can say there's a way that we can have a net gain if we can both reduce youth use and keep these flavors on the on the market for products for for adults rather who depend on the flavors for smoking cessation to you know from the leading from the number one cause of death in the united states let's try to balance let's talk but um i think we need a, i think we need more common language i would love to see more common language so that you know we can be i think it makes us louder if we're all kind of saying the same thing so you know if we have you know a certain four or five things that we're saying uh you know that why 
helping adults to quit smoking or just if, as a liberty principle, why adults should have access to um, e-cigarettes, you know, whatever it is that they decide, I would love to see some uniformity. Um, obviously, we've got to keep up um, with, the, with the research. I mean, I know it's been a, re a real big struggle with the funding, but when you've got research, when you've got tobacco controlled research, you know, hitting the headlines every day, um, you know, what this essentially is, in my opinion, is this is a marketing campaign. And you know who I learned that from? Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> true, true, true. And, and it is a marketing campaign. I mean, yeah. it's hundreds of millions of dollars are spent from their side with real agencies, like the big, biggest agencies in the world. Um, oh, and Brent, Brent, I know, I know I'm, t I'm overdue, but um, on time, but it, bipartisanship. Please allow me a shout out to Jim McDonald from Vaping360, who, you know, he, bless his heart, he, he said, you guys, this cannot be partisan. Do not expect your industry to continue. So yes, have I trended more conservative? Have I trended more libertarian? Yes, am I exploring ideas? But do we have to get in there and talk to all of our representatives if we want this industry to, to, to survive? Yes, and we need to know how to talk to all of them. That's true. my opinion. True, let me just Let me just make sure though that I get my two cents in on that. Yes, and yes. it is, uh, this is from, uh, uh, we, we, this got covered in a piece that we did last week uh, when uh, Maxime Brunier was on our show and he mentioned Margaret Thatcher. And, and yes. I want to make sure I get this correct for everybody because she was like, when people are coming to us, uh, conservatism saying compromise, compromise, you know, we're going to compromise. Well, usually that means the left and progressives are out of power because they're never asking for compromise when they're in power. They're just telling you exactly how it's going to be and stomping on your neck. That's how it works, right? And, uh, oh, of course it is, because clearly CDC stomped on vapor's necks. There's no doubt about that. You can say it's either incompetence or malevolence, but you yes. can't say that it just happened. Oh, I no. guess it just happened. Well, no, it did. It, no. So they stomped on the neck. So old Maggie Thatcher's uh, position on this was like, they only ever come and ask for compromise when we're in power. And then what always happens is those on the center to right or whatever feel this urge when they're empowered to compromise because, of course, you know, they have no heart. And now they got a chance to show they've got a heart. And now they're going to do things because the cool kids are all on the left. The cool kids are all on the left. And because of that, you've got this desire, right, to try to kind of make friends. It's, it's what John McCain did, disgustingly, uh, did. <laughs> Uh, is kiss up to mainstream media and screw the country. And in my opinion, screw honor and anything that he had was for good reputation. I, I John McCain, glad he's on his way. So, um, <laughs> okay. so Maggie, Maggie. I do, not, I do not join in that comment, but I don't, you I don't, don't need know to join in that comment. You don't I even do need that. to disavow it either. I do have need, to, I do you, have to, just in case. Just in case know? anybody thinks you yes. think that, fine. Yes. You can disavow away. Your your progressive roots there are showing. Quiet. So um, so anyhow, so Thatcher will say is look is that they don't want compromise; they want capitulation. That's as simple as that. It's capitulate. That's what they want, and it's always going to be that way. So when they're in power, they want capitulation. When they're out of power, they ask for compromise. But what they really mean is capitulation, and that's why Maggie Thatcher said we don't compromise. So it's not, it's, you know, from the deepest, darkest parts of a, of a strong new conservative 
you know, mindset from, you know, Thatcher and Reagan, it wasn't like, we're not compromising with you because we don't want to meet you on common ground. It was because there is no common ground because, because the other side will not offer real common ground. So my only thing on, you know, it's a bleak position to be in. Where does that leave you with vaping? But if the call is for coming together on language, are you meaning just on the, our side when you're saying, uh, you know, we have to meet in the middle? Well, how do you pull Democrats and progressives into the middle on this issue? And that's my last question for you, because it's a similar thing to when I hear all the time, well, if we just get unity, right? No, when the vaping industry gets unity, that somehow that'll be the trigger that I'll unlock it. And it all, that all links together for me because, I mean, I don't know how you ever get unity. How do you get unity within vapors and expect to somehow get unity with, with the people like CDC that are stomping on the neck? Well, I guess, I, I'm not sure I'm following you completely, but what I was thinking is that, um, you know, there may be different ways of talking to Democrats and, and Republicans. I mean, if you've got people who are just totally dug in that they want a smoke-free world, then, uh, and, and this is what they're after, and, and, reducing, and reducing youth use, then maybe we need more studies or better studies or to highlight or emphasize studies that say, hey, Vaping is uh, vaping e-cigarettes are twice as effective as other smoking cessation products. So you know if what you want is a smoke fill you know, is a smoke free world, then this product will help you. And um, you know if you want fewer fewer youth smoking, emphasize the, emphasize that the smoking rates for youth are at their at historical lows. You know, and if you go in and you talk to a conservative. Maybe you don't make those same arguments, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you make a liberty argument or, you you know, you stress the, the free market and the, and the importance of the businesses. I don't know. That's what I that's all I was saying is just that, um, you know, I, we we need to make sure that we're not neglecting people. And I'm not I wasn't talking about in terms of voting. I was talking about reaching out and being advocates and going to meet with our representatives or calling them and writing them, um, because if we make it past May. People better, in my opinion, people under, better understand that this, this, if we haven't seen this by now, this is never going to end. I mean, now they're throwing coronavirus at us. They are going to keep at it. So we got to just like double down and say, okay, you know, we've been immunized. We're just going to like, you know, we're in, we're, we're in for the long haul. And, and this is just never going to stop. We're just going to have to keep at it and keep fighting for the rights for adults to have access to, uh, to you know, e-cigarettes, a, a safer product than smoking. Well, and it may very well come down to, um, you know, it may come down to that there's a black market that has to thrive for a while. Well, uh, that may happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cindy, that's fantastic. So, look, I want to make sure that everybody knows exactly how to get to you because you are totally accessible on Twitter and it's fantastic. And uh, what is it, Schmitty? Why don't you go ahead? That's you spell it out there. Oh, yeah. It's it's half. It's part of my last name and part of my first name. So it's S C H. M I D C I. And uh, yeah, and I highly recommend uh, people to follow your feed. It's fantastic. You're just filled with tons of uh, great stuff. I mean, good reference material and also very strong opinion. And I think that's important. <laughs> I am opinionated. And uh, and thanks, Brent, for all you do. And, you know, you know, you've got my Kindle full of full of your book recommendations. So I have my reading list for the winter next winter, too. <laughs> yeah. Now, the last thing I wanted to say was that uh, I was quite pleased. I think you are my official, fully confirmed convert. You t tweeted me something <laughs> about how one of my reg rants took you somewhere. 
It's true. You changed my brain, I said, or something like, change the way I'm thinking. You and go Paul Blair. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, you know what? I, I Hopefully, I'm responsible for a terrible, terrible mess. <laughs> well, look, thanks, Cindy. I really appreciate okay, no. it. Just stick right Thank on you. there for, for a minute. And that is it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please head over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. And consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage it's easy. Just dig into your wallet and find a few dollars and toss them our way. If you have coronavirus, please feel free. Cough all over the bills and uh, send them to me. I'll take them. I, I think that uh, I think that a little flu is is an okay exchange for um, a few greenbacks. And while you're online, please uh, follow us on Facebook. And don't forget, please like us on Facebook. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I am Brent Stafford. Thanks a lot.